today, and we have been in a series called The Life You've Always Wanted, and it's based on a book by John Ortberg talking about spiritual disciplines, and through the month of April, we've been talking about um, how the, the Holy Spirit is the guide for our lives, and living this guided life empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we're going to put a pause on that series for today, and we're going to have a different conversation. For those of you that have joined us on the Bible reading plan for, on the life of Elisha, uh, I love the interaction, the comments, your thoughts, what sticks out to you. Thank you for being a part of that. If you've not jumped in yet and you want that link, please reach out to me this week. Uh, it's not too late. That'll end this week in preparation for uh, next, next week's message when we jump back into our series. But today, I want to preach a message that I've called the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. And this is a conversation that we have been having over the last several years and the scripture does not define the gospel of the kingdom. It's not like there's a place we can turn and say, what is the gospel of the kingdom? But Jesus over and over said this, the gospel of the, ki or the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like. And he gives us so many different examples of what the kingdom of God is like. And so we put those together and we come up with this concept of what the kingdom of God is, what it's like, and what Jesus preached, the, the scripture tells us when Jesus came on the scene, he came preaching the gospel of the kingdom or the gospel of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And that word gospel literally just means good news, good news. That's all it is. And there was a gospel of the Roman Empire with Caesar as Lord at the time. So the heralds would come into the city and they would declare the gospel of the Roman Empire, the good news of the Roman Empire, Caesar is Lord, here are the benefits. So the word gospel in this culture was not a religious term. It was actually a cultural or a political term that was hijacked, if you will, by Jesus and by the disciples as they began to teach after him. And they were declaring the good news of the new kingdom that had come, the kingdom of God. And so for many of us in our culture today, the word gospel is a religious term. Whenever you hear gospel, it's usually associated with church or with the Bible in some way. It is not a cultural term for us. And so we want to look at it in the sense of what it is in the cultural context so that we understand it in our context. Because for many of us, if you were raised in church, the gospel is Jesus died on the cross so that we would have forgiveness of sins, so that we will go to heaven when we die. And while I don't disagree with that, that's a part of the gospel. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. That's a benefit of the gospel of the kingdom, but that's not the full gospel of the kingdom that Jesus preached. In fact, I believe we can easily pervert this gospel of the forgiveness of my sins and going to heaven when I die, and we can actually live out very self-centered lives, receiving forgiveness of our sins and receiving heaven when I die, and we can actually miss the whole point of what the gospel of the kingdom is all about. We can try to focus on going to heaven when we die and actually miss getting to heaven when we die. But if we live out the gospel of the kingdom every day of our lives, heaven just becomes the next step. And so I think there's a, a paradigm shift that's happening in our world today when we talk about, in the church world, when we talk about it. And this is not just about semantics. 
this is not just, oh, we have to use the right words. Because this is the central idea of how we live out our lives. And if we don't understand the gospel of the kingdom, many times what we see in our churches is people that come to church week after week after week. Our sins are forgiven, but we're very selfish. We're very cruel. We're very unkind. Because we haven't actually taken what the root problem is and dealt with it. I mean, we're, we love forgiveness of sins. We love the benefits of the kingdom. He, he forgives my sins. He heals my diseases. And guess what? He does. He does. You ask, he does. We confess our, our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us. We ask for healing and he comes. He brings deliverance. He brings breakthrough. He does. But we don't want to just get hung up on the benefits of the kingdom. We want to go to the root of the, the problem. And so... When we talk about the gospel, and we talk about it as a religious term in terms of forgiveness and heaven, we sometimes only get concerned about the afterlife and not the now life. We start to reject anything that deals with the society around us or the concerns of the society around us or the world around us. And we become only concerned about the afterlife. When we talk about things like economic injustice or racial injustice or community problems, we, we say, well, those things aren't important, as important as eternity. And again, I wouldn't disagree with that, but I don't think that we were ever supposed to divorce those things. The gospel of the kingdom of God is about God putting his world back together again. It's bigger than just forgiveness. It's bigger than just the healing of my disease. It's about the restoration of all the world. That's what the gospel of the kingdom is about. And I want to look at Colossians chapter 1. Here in this prayer that the apostle Paul is praying for the Colossians church, he starts in verse 9, and he says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. I love this emphasis on prayer and the reminder that everything is rooted in God. Okay, It's not just about me going and doing something. It's about God acting. I need him to act. Prayer has to be this thing. And so he's praying and continually asking God to fill them with knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. That's that Spirit-guided life. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And that's that concept about bearing fruit. We've been talking about this all month. It's the Spirit's job. We connect with the Spirit. We, we lean into the Spirit. We pray. And God does the work in us, and it shows up on the outside of our lives. Okay, So being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that... You may have great endurance and patience. Those are two key words. Remember them. We're going to come back to them. So that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus, for your death and your burial and your resurrection because by it you and I are qualified. My, my behavior does not qualify me to be in the kingdom. What Jesus did for me qualifies me. It is finished. Okay? So who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light? For he has rescued us 
from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, do you, do you, are you catching this? We, we've been qualified to share in the inheritance. The inheritance is in heaven. The inheritance isn't just what's going to happen when we die. I know that we sometimes think of the kingdom of light, but we have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, brought into the kingdom of the Son that He loves right now. And as a benefit of that, we receive redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. That's not the main point of this passage. That's the byproduct of the passage. We get forgiveness, we get healing, we get deliverance, we get breakthrough. Those are benefits of the kingdom. But we have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. There's a transfer that's taking place out of one kingdom into another, out of the kingdom of darkness, out of the kingdom of the world, out of the kingdom of self, where self is on the throne, where it's all about my will and my desires and my preference and my rights and my, my, my. And I have been transferred into the kingdom of the Son. And Paul goes on in this passage and he's going to declare that the Son is God. Jesus is God. So the kingdom of the Son is the kingdom of God. Jesus came telling us that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is breaking out. He taught us to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth. This is about a transfer that has taken place that happens now. Then Paul goes on in verse 21, and this is what he says. Once you were alienated from God, and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. And someone should say amen there. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Okay, the gospel is not that he's just reconciled us through Christ's physical body and presented us blameless and, and free from accusation. It's not just the forgiveness of our sins, it's all of it. We've been brought back into the kingdom of God to live out the way God originally intended us to live. The kingdom of God is all about self-sacrificing love. That's what it's about. How do I know that? Because Jesus himself modeled it. Even before the foundation of the world, he was crucified for us. He modeled what the kingdom of God is like. Not because he was different than us. Not because he was God. But because he was to be the firstborn among many brothers. So that we could, in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's the essence of the kingdom of God. I have done a lot of reading over the years about the kingdom of God and a lot of study on the kingdom of God, trying to, to wrap my mind around what the kingdom of God is. How do we live out the kingdom of God fully in our lives? And I came across a book called The Gospel of the Kingdom, Revealing the Heart of God, and it's written by Lim Eng Ho. Okay, that's his name, and he articulates this conversation so well, and he asks four questions to kind of help us grasp 
how, how, do, how, do we, how do we grasp and understand the concept of the gospel of the kingdom? And so I want to look at his four questions for a few minutes and try to help us lay this foundation of what the gospel of the kingdom is all about. And his first question is this, why is the world such a mess? Now that assumes that you think the world is a mess. And if you don't, then maybe nothing else I say is going to be helpful to you. But uh, if you agree that the world is a mess, it doesn't take long to watch the news or to look around and notice that everything is a mess. The idea that everything on earth has a design, okay? And when something breaks down, it ceases to function according to its design. Whether that's an appliance or a car or the human body or our world, when something is broken down, it no longer functions according to the design for which it was created. This world has an original design, and it is broken. The world is a mess because it has deviated from its original design. And the main problem, I believe, of that world is that we have become self-centered. It is the root cause of every problem in the world. I don't care if that problem is in a relationship, if it's in a marriage, if it's in a family, if it's in a church, if it's in a workplace, if it's in business, in government, in politics, in a nation, or in a culture. It is that every one of us is self-centered. The Bible calls that the sin nature within us. We are immersed all the time in what we think, what we want, how we feel, why we're right, why the other person is wrong, and that is our default mode. And as a result of that, the world is in a mess. Well, question number two. Well, if that's not God's original design, what was his original design? Glad you asked. Keep in mind, God is love. God is love. That has nothing to do with how God feels. When God is love, God is self-sacrificing love. That is what, that's when Jesus laid down his life for us. That is love. God made us as humans in his image to be like him. To be one with him. To be under his rule. But the only way that love is possible is if we were given free choice. If there was no free choice, we would not be human beings made in the image of God. We would be machines that function according to what has been programmed into us. We would not be humans made in the image of God. So God gave us a free will to choose. And guess what? We chose our own way. Separated from God. You and I were never intended to be separate from God. We were intended to be like Him and to be one with Him. And if we were one with Him, we would be one with each other. The same way that when you tune musical instruments, you tune them all to the same key, and then all of the instruments are in tune with one another. That's how you and I become one. We get in tune with Him to the point that we become in tune with each other because we're in tune with Him. That's why it's a supernatural process, a new birth that has to take place. That's why it's a connection to Him. We were created to be one with Him. And if we were one with Him, we would be one with another. We would love one another and we would not be self-centered. If we lived under His rule, everything would work according to His design. 
Question number three, what went wrong? Well, I'm glad you asked. You may know in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see that God created our world. It was good. And instead of listening to God, man chose to listen to the serpent, and he ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when we did that, we now have our own wisdom. We no longer have to look to God or consult God. We become independent and we rule our own lives. We follow our sense of what's good and evil, our sense of what's right and wrong, what's good for us or bad for us, and we decide everything for ourselves. We have become centered on ourselves. And that is how we became self-centered. And because Adam and Eve subjected themselves to Satan and to obey him, they gave him authority over them. And now Satan's kingdom or Satan's rule or Satan's control over human beings continues to be increased when we align ourselves with him and when we follow him, when we obey him. If we walk according to darkness, sin rules in us. If we walk in the light, God rules over us. So what's the solution? Again, I'm glad you asked. You guys are sharp today. You got the right questions. What is the good news? Well, when something is broken, it needs to be restored back to its original design. God's solution is to restore us back to our original design. Back to being one with him, reconciled to him, and being one with one another. Not just being one with him, being one with one another. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says about Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus defeated the kingdom of darkness, and he made it possible for you and I to be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And to live no longer under self-rule, but under God-rule. And as a benefit of that, yes, there's forgiveness of sin. So that even before I confess my sin, Jesus forgives my sin. He doesn't stand in heaven waiting for me to confess. And if he comes back and I haven't confessed that one, I'm not going to heaven. That's not the gospel of the kingdom. In the gospel of the kingdom, there is redemption. There is forgiveness of sins. And my calling is to live out the gospel of the kingdom, to break agreement with all other kingdoms, whether it's the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of self. And if you and I did this, we would become the community of God's kingdom on earth. In James chapter 4, James is writing to the believers, Jewish believers, I believe, and he writes this in James chapter 4, what is the cause of your conflicts and quarrels with each other? I mean, I don't know, maybe you, maybe you grew up in a church where there were never fights and conflicts and quarrels, right? Yeah, you know, Mark, that's not possible. Um, there's going to be conflicts. That's okay. There, it's not like we don't have to learn how to, to bear with one another. That's a command of Scripture. So what's the source? Doesn't the battle begin inside of you as you fight to have your own way and fulfill your own desires? Remember, he's writing to the church, not the world. He goes on, you jealously want what others have. So you begin to see yourself as better than others. You scheme with envy and you harm others. 
to selfishly obtain what you crave. That's why you quarrel and fight. And all the time, you don't obtain what you want because you won't ask God for it. And if you ask, you won't receive it, for you're asking with corrupt motives, seeking only to fulfill your own selfish desires. See, James is talking about a culture. This verse doesn't mean that if I ask God to do something, that he doesn't answer that one request that I'm asking of him because, uh, because I've, I asked with wrong motives. I mean, I prayed for someone to get healed. They didn't get healed, so it must have been I had wrong motives. That's not what James is talking about. James is talking about the overall culture of the church, why there's fighting, why there's quarreling. Here's the thing. If we want to see miracles happen regularly in our lives, we have to live out the kingdom. And the kingdom crucifies self. Jesus modeled it. Jesus went into Nazareth. He went into a place where he could only perform a few miracles because there was a whole culture of unbelief. But yet the Spirit of God was strong enough in Jesus that he was able to bypass the unbelief around him and still perform miracles. Why? Because the culture of the kingdom of Jesus, who humbled himself even to the point of death, that level of humility that Jesus walked out for us, crucifying his own desires, not what I will, but what you will. And in the church world, it's become easier for us to blame the problems of the world on the sovereignty of God rather than do what James goes on to say and humble ourselves before God and submit to him, submit to his kingdom. Now, sometimes... We try to do this in our own strength. We try to become one with one another in our own strength. We try to connect with other believers in our own strength. And you just, we can't. I mean, we can, we can connect a little bit, but it has to be a spirit, a spiritual connection. I don't connect with you because we have similar likes and dislikes. I connect with you because the Spirit of God lives in you and the Spirit of God lives in me. And that's what has to connect because that's what's going to keep us together when we disagree. And if we don't connect on that level, if you and I are not connecting with him and then connecting with others with each other as a result of that, then our connection is fragile. And anytime there's disagreement, even over the carpet keller that we can't change in this room, praise the Lord, then we're going to separate. And it's all about self. It's all about self. So we try in our own strength to connect with others. Sometimes we try to be people pleasers. We try to just, you know, be kind to everybody. Or we try to do things and we and that's still selfish. Because we're, we're trying to get other people to like us. We're trying to be validated by other people's opinions of us. Or we're trying to be value, validated by the works we're doing and not by who we are. Our validation has to come from what Christ has done for us, period. And if we don't settle that first, there's no hope of you and I being one with one another. Our validation has to come from him. In John chapter 17, verse 3. Jesus, as he's praying in the garden, says this. Now, this is eternal life. That they go to heaven when they die and get to be with you. No, that's not what he says. Now, this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That word know is the word experience. There is a... Okay, so the, 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 the New Testament is written in Greek. Let me help you understand this. The New Testament is written in Greek. 
So the Hebrew, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Okay, so the Jews at the time take the Hebrew translation of the, the Old Testament and they translate it into Greek, the Septuagint, for some of the new believers who are, are Greek-speaking and they, they are reading the Hebrew Old Testament in Greek. So the word in Genesis chapter 2, I believe, where Adam, or Genesis chapter 3, where Adam knew Eve and they con- she conceived and, he, and she bore him a son. Knew. That's the word that's used there. So to know God is this intimate connection with Him. It's not to know details about Him or facts about Him. It's to experience Him on an intimate, connective level. It's about His Spirit taking up residence and taking more control of our lives. This is eternal life. To encounter God, to know Him, to experience Him, to experience His love, to trust that He is working for our good and we don't have to fight for our good because He's working for our good. We need to submit to Him, to submit to His rule, to submit to His reign. I don't have to fight for my rights. He is fighting for my rights. But let's be honest, living with people is hard. All right? We can be honest in this room because people hurt us. And people disappoint us, and we're tempted to give up, and we're tempted to walk away, and we're tempted to isolate ourselves, but Jesus modeled that too. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, when they hurled insults at him, he, <laughs> he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. You have to understand, this can be taken out of context in a way that makes it seem like we should just allow people to mistreat us or hurt us or harm us and just, you know, let people walk all over us. The key here is that we have to fully entrust ourselves to the Father. It's not about being someone's punching bag or staying in an abusive relationship because the Bible seems to teach that. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches don't retaliate because you entrust yourself to the Father. It's about making sure that our identity, our validation, what we're fighting for comes from Him. We, as Christians, sometimes get so intent on trying to make people except Jesus, that we are actually just so mean. (laughs) And I don't know why anyone would accept that Jesus. And we think we're speaking, well, we got to speak the truth. You got to speak the truth in love. And And love means washing someone's feet, means laying your life down for someone. So if we're not willing to lay our lives down for someone, don't tell them the truth. Speak the truth in a culture of love. The church has to start going first and being willing to lay down our lives. Yeah, we have to tell people the truth, but they're only going to receive the truth when love opens the heart to receive the truth. See, escape to heaven is not the solution for the mess that we're in. The self-centeredness in us has to be killed. Salvation is not escape, it's restoration. It's coming back to God's original design for
for relationships, for communities, for our physical bodies. It's about us being restored to, to God. It's about us being restored to one another. It's about being connected to him by his spirit, remaining in him so that self loses its grip on our lives. Because the entire world is going in one direction, self. And you and I have been called the church, the ecclesia, the community of God. We have been called to go in the opposite direction of self. And that is love. The world is waiting to see that. God is waiting to see that. Lim Ng Ho says this in his book. We are so self-centered and individualistic that we've reduced the good news of the kingdom to something that is focused only on our individual self. And we want it easy, escape to heaven. But God wants community right here on earth where it is messy and difficult. The perfect setting for us to learn to love. That's one of the most profound things I think I have ever read in my life. And does a great job of summing up the gospel of the kingdom. I believe the church needs a paradigm shift in its understanding of the gospel. We need a paradigm shift in understanding our role in the kingdom. I don't know if you've ever heard people talk about when Jesus came, he turned everything upside down. Jesus didn't come to turn everything upside down. He came to turn everything right side up. In our self-centered ways, we have turned everything upside down. We actually think the way to life, the way to, to gain life is to, to, to keep it, to, to hoard, to gather. And Jesus says, no, the way to, to, to life is to lay your life down to lose your life. If you're not willing to carry your cross, you're not worthy of being my disciple. I mean, these aren't just a few phrases of Jesus. The Gospels are littered with these phrases. And we wonder why we don't find what we need. And and here's the thing. We, We find it a little bit. Okay, so we go into the doctor's office. And the doctor this week, unfortunately, gives us this bad report that it's cancer. And so what would you like to do? What, what, I mean, I can give you something that will help you be comfortable. It'll take away the pain. It'll make you feel good. And, uh, you know, but it won't deal with the cancer at all, but you'll feel okay. Uh, you're still going to die because we have to deal with what's killing you on the inside, right? That's how some of us treat salvation. I mean, I want forgiveness of sins. I want a, a conference here and a conference there. And I want to I come to a church service and I want good feelings. And I want I mean, I, I, and those are good Oh, they're so good. I mean, they're benefits of the kingdom, and I don't want to belittle them. But if we don't deal with the cancer, then we don't get to see the fullness of the kingdom. And I don't want to just see pockets of people being healed there and people being delivered there and people being saved there, and we got to get in a car and drive 500 miles because that's where God's on the move. Nothing wrong with it. But let's get God on the move here. How do you get God on the move here? You develop the culture of the kingdom that attracts him. We lay down our lives. When you and I catch this, the kingdom of God will explode. We won't have to ask for miracles. Miracles will be the byproduct of the kingdom culture that you and I have established by laying our lives down and by being fully submitted to the will of the Father. That's how we bring the kingdom. He came to transfer us from one kingdom to another. 
I believe the kingdom of God can come now into any community, in any situation, wherever Satan and his demons are displaced from ruling over that community, from ruling over that situation, and anywhere we as his people will crucify ourselves and we will lay our lives down. So the question is, will we receive that kingdom? That's what we have to ask. Do you and I believe that this is God's original design? Will we acknowledge not just our sin, but the root of our sin, our self-centeredness, that we've chosen our own way? Will we believe, yet, yes, there's forgiveness for our sins, but will we believe in the kingdom and fully submit to it and take up our cross and crucify ourselves and our desires daily and choose to be a part of putting things back together by being a part of restoration? By caring for the poor and the orphan and the widow and the foreigner. By fighting prejudice. By giving cold water to those in need. By visiting those who are lonely. By walking in the power of the Spirit to bring healing and deliverance. See, the good news is Jesus has reconciled us to God. He's brought us into the kingdom. He's restored our calling to be a part of putting the world back together. Now it's up to us to live in expectation that He is putting the world back together. It's one thing today to sit here and say, amen, I believe God is putting the world back together. It's another to live this week in expectation that today is going to be different because God's putting the world back together. How many of us walked into this room today saying today is going to be different because God is putting the world back together? Every day is going to be different. Outwardly, we're wasting away, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. We move from glory to glory to glory to glory. And hey, if I have a setback today, tomorrow's going to be different because he's putting the world back together. He is putting the world back together. He is working all things for the good of those who have been called according to his purpose. That's us. And do we trust it? Or will we continue to fight for our own way or fight for what we think is right or our way? Or will you and I choose the path that Jesus walked and lay down our lives? Because see, if we really want to go after the cancer, we'll say to the doctor, hey, I'm willing to take chemo. I know chemo really is hard on me. I know I'm going to uh, have some, some bad side effects and I'm willing to undergo surgery. I'm willing for you to cut me open and cause pain. I'm willing for you to rip what out what needs to be ripped out and I'm willing to go through that three-month recovery process or six-month recovery. I'm willing to do it because I want to go to the root. I don't want you to just give me something to make me feel better today. I want you to go after the root. So that I can live a legacy. So that I can be here for my wife and my kids. and So that I can pass things on to others. That's the kingdom. Jesus, I want you to forgive my sins today. I want you to heal my diseases today. But I want you to deal with the self-centeredness on the throne of my heart. Because I want the kingdom to come. I don't want just little pockets of it here and there. Giving us a good feeling. High-fiving each other on the way out. I want something that just overtakes the city of Huron and people say what's different well that's the kingdom that's what it takes and that's a cost because there's momentary pain involved but one last scripture from Hebrews chapter 12 for the joy set before him he endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There cannot be a resurrection where there has not been a crucifixion. And as Pentecostals, we love the idea of walking in the power of the resurrection. But we can't walk in the power of the resurrection if there's not a crucifying of the self. That's the gospel of the kingdom. The whole world is going in one direction, self. God's plan is that his church, his people, go in the opposite direction, love. I want you to bow your heads for just a moment. And I want you to think about what you want to choose today. Because there's a choice to be made. I've laid out the best I can what I feel like is the gospel message that Jesus taught, that the apostles taught. There's so many other layers to it. I mean, you could study the gospel of the kingdom from now until through eternity and never fully uncover all that there is to know. There's so much more. But to enter the gospel of the kingdom, all we have to do is acknowledge that we've sinned. Basically, we acknowledge not just the acts of sin, but the self-centeredness within us where we've chosen our own way. We haven't chosen God's way, we've chosen our. The scripture says that we are all like sheep who have gone astray, each to his own way. And in that same passage, it talks about how God himself took those sins and they, he put them on Jesus, who became the lamb that was slain for us. That's kingdom demonstration right there. And so the question today is, will you acknowledge, whether for the first time, or maybe you've admitted your sin to God, but you've never admitted the self-centeredness that's the result of all of that sin. Maybe you've accepted the gospel of the forgiveness of sins and going to heaven when you die, but today you've realized it's more than that. It's submitting to the rule and reign of the king. It's to take self off of the throne and to put him there. And it's about being willing to lay down my life for him and to lay down my life for others because that's how I find life, that's the kingdom. Submitting to Him. And here's the thing, it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Yeah, He wants His kingdom to come on earth. He wants the city of Huron to be lit up with the kingdom of God. You and I have to choose to live out that kingdom. To crucify ourselves daily. And for each of us today, that's going to be different. It's going to look different. My prayer this week has been that the Holy Spirit would be very specific in our lives, showing us any area of self-centeredness that needs to be broken. 
And it's okay if that breaks your heart. It's okay if a lot of ugly comes up, because I promise you, as I prepared for the sermon this week, a lot of ugly has come up. And I hate preaching sermons like this just because I hate what it stirs up in my own life. Because just when you think you're not that self-centered, all of a sudden, every area of self-centeredness comes to the surface of your life. grateful today that I have redemption and the forgiveness of sins even as he reveals self-centeredness in my life so today if you want to make that choice to admit self-centeredness to believe that Jesus died to reconcile you to God to bring you into the kingdom and you want to submit to the kingdom rule in your life fully. If that's your desire, I want you to just lift up your hand. Say, that's me. That's me. I just want you to lift it and I want you to hold it up because I want to pray. And as I pray today, if you want to lift one hand, if you want to lift both hands, it's a prayer of surrender. It's a prayer of yielding. And I want you, as I pray for you, I want you to have your own conversation with the Lord today. Where you surrender. Where you yield. Where your voice is the one that does it. I can't do the prayer for you. You do the prayer today. Offer yourself to Him. Put your trust in Him. And let Him come. And let Him cut. Let Him cut away like a surgeon. Every area of self-centeredness, every cancer cell in your body today, spiritual cancer. And so Father, today, we surrender. Oh, Jesus. To think that you would lay aside your rights and privileges as, of, as God and that you would come to this earth and that you, as the perfect one, would take the punishment that was meant for us and that you would model for us the type of love of the kingdom so that we could have forgiveness of sin so that we could experience healing in our physical bodies and deliverance and breakthrough from addictions and from chains that have bound us to the kingdom of darkness. But even more, so that you could transfer us from that kingdom into the kingdom of God. Father, raise up an army in this room today of kingdom-minded people willing to lay down our lives willing for the joy set before us to endure our own cross scorning its shame so that your kingdom would come and your will would be done in our lives and in our workplaces and in our schools and in our communities Father, we lay down our lives today because we trust you. And we trust that you're good. 
And like a surgeon today, we trust that you're going to cut away at what needs to be cut away. And that any pain we experience is so that you can bring life and freedom into our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray for just your continued direction for each one of us today. As we walk out of these doors this morning, show us how to live out this new kingdom life in our homes, with our spouses, with our kids, with our parents, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our enemies. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to finish the work you started in our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know that may be not your typical feel-good Easter message, but hey, I've never been very typical. But I promise you, if we let that message cut away at our hearts, not just today, but throughout this week, there is a joy on the other side. And keep in mind where we're going. We want to see a city where the kingdom of God is manifest every day. And that's what we're fighting for. So don't be afraid to lay your life down. Amen. Amen. If you're a guest again, we've got a gift for you at the table. Please make sure you stop out there today before you go. Uh, offering baskets are out there as well if you want to give in the offerings, if you're regulars. Uh, information, cards, all kinds of stuff at the table. Please make sure you stop out there before you head out today. I hope you have a great Easter. I uh, hope you have a good time with family and friends, whatever you have planned. God bless you as you go today.